When you need guidance for living out your faith, God's Word has you covered, not only in your family relationships, but even in your workplace. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to Colossians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul helps both employers and employees maintain proper perspective. To introduce the conclusion of his message, The Christian Household, here's David. And thank you so much for joining us today. We're in a very practical section of the book of Colossians as we turn to the third chapter. And uh, we started this on Friday, and uh, we'll finish up the third chapter with one verse in the fourth chapter. And this is called The Christian Household. We're talking about what Paul had to say to husbands and to wives and to children. And uh, the whole context is very helpful, and I hope you'll stay with us. All of us need a little reminder once in a while of what God says about the family, and here we have it. We'll get to our study in just a moment, but first, I hope you get a copy of this book. I've got it in my hands right now. It's a beautiful commentary on the book of Colossians called Christ Above All, and it's 288 pages. It's hardback. It's got a beautiful slipcover. Uh, It's everything that we've said from the book of Colossians. It's really a contemporary commentary on this New Testament book. It's yours for the asking when you send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of August. Please do that and help us, and we thank you. Okay, the Christian household. What does the Bible have to say about how we live at home? Let's discover it together. Obedience is not only a principle of morality and a precept of Scripture, it's a protection for the children. It says in verse 3 of Ephesians 6, Children, obey your parents, that it may be well with you. Now, I knew that personally, living in the home I did, that if I didn't obey my parents, it would not be well with me. (laughs) So I didn't test that too often. I'm sure there are disobedient rebels out there who have violated this command and have somehow made it through life unscathed. But truth be told, I have never met one. I just really have not. The simple fact is that everybody has to report to somebody. That doesn't stop when you turn 20. Everybody has to learn the principle of submission to authority. If we don't learn it at home where it's supposed to be learned, then we will struggle with it all of our lives. And someday there will be a notation in our personnel file that says, struggles with authority. And I've seen that happen over and over. Obedience is a principle of morality. Do it because it's right. Obedience is a precept of Scripture because there's a promise associated with it. Obedience is a protection for the child that it may be well with you. And number four, obedience is a prerequisite for a long life, Ephesians 6, 3, that you may live long on the earth. Now, there's all kinds of things going on. In fact, I talked to someone this morning who told me you should go check this out because it will give you longer life. Well, there's some things in the Bible that tell you there's some general principles that give you a better shot at long life. Obedience is a prerequisite for a long life that you may live long on the earth. Discipline in a child's life is usually conducive to good health. Does that mean that a person who's disobedient always dies young and a person who is obedient always lives into his 90s? Of course not. Let's face it, a person who grows up in rebellion against authority has put himself on a path that leads to discouragement and destruction. People who follow God's instructions have a much better chance of living a longer life. And that needs to start when 
children are children. So that's what Paul says to children. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. There's a promise associated with it. It'll be well with you if you do it, and you'll have a better chance to live long. I used to think about that because I realized that if I disobeyed my father, I would not live long. Now, Paul's going to talk to parents. He's talked to wives, husbands, children. Here in the text, it talks about fathers, but the word fathers is used numerous times in the New Testament for parents. So I think this is an equal instruction to both mom and dad. I read about a father of nine who reflected on how he had changed as a father over the years. He said, when the firstborn coughed or sneezed, I called an ambulance. When the last one swallowed a dime, I just told him it was coming out of his allowance. (laughs) Parenting can wear you out. Can I get a witness? I mean, parenting is a hard job. And I know for a fact there's no pain like parental pain. Something's wrong with one of your kids. They're going south when you started them north, or they're sick, or they're having problems, or they're being bullied at school, or whatever. It hurts like you would not believe. But Paul tells us not to wear our children out. (laughs) He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they get discouraged. Ephesians says it this way, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Paul tells us what not to do as parents. He says, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't irritate them. Don't discourage them by unreasonable demands. There are some parents who are always on the backs of their children, and they never get on their children's team. I remember reading the story of this guy who deployed to Afghanistan a few years ago. He was Army Staff Sergeant Philip Gray. And before he left, he sat down and he wrote 270 messages for his seven-year-old daughter, one for each day that he would be away. Some of his notes for Rosie encouraged her to do her best at school and excel in her activities and hobbies. Others included doodles like snowmen or pumpkins to represent holidays that he missed. And each morning he was gone, his wife, Kristen, would slip a new note into Rosie's lunchbox just so she would know how much her daddy loved her. When Philip returned three days before her eighth birthday, you can guess what she requested. She said, Daddy, can you just keep writing me those notes? (laughs) What does that say? Rather than discouraging our children, as parents, we ought to be finding ways to encourage them. I want to tell you something. It's tough growing up in this culture as a child. You just think about all the issues that our kids are facing now in public schools and even in private schools, the gender issues, the hate issues, all of the CRT stuff that's floating around. And if they want to be right, if they want to do right, they fight a terrible battle. So I'm just saying that children need encouragement now more than they ever have before. You have to discipline them if they do wrong. But here's something I've thought about. Don't ever discipline your child because of an accident. Accidents happen. This family was eating dinner one time in a restaurant, and they had a little girl, and <laughs> she had a glass of milk on the table. And I don't know if you've ever been there. You could just watch this and know this was not headed to a good place because she was playing with it, just kind of absentmindedly. And then the inevitable happened. She hit it, and it fell over, got all over the tablecloth, all over the seat, and some of it got on her and one of the members of the family. And her parents went off. They just... They just went off telling her how stupid she was, and you knew that was going to happen, and just beat up on her. There was a guy sitting across the table, 
in the next table across the aisle. He saw that he was so frustrated. He had a big Coke on the side of his, and he just took his hand and blew that Coke off on the wall, and it went down on the floor and made a big mess. As if to say, accidents happen. And we don't punish our children for accidents. Listen, they do enough stuff on purpose that's bad that you don't need to go looking for the accidents. Amen? So, let me just encourage you, friends. I say this, I think, with a little perspective on history and having grown up and watching families. Mom and dad, whatever you do, I know you love your kids, but go out of your way to encourage them. One of the things that we did as a family when our children were growing up, and you all know this because you watched it, we never missed hardly anything that was going on in their life that was important. I went to football games and soccer games and baseball games and basketball games, and I even suffered through how they start playing baseball. I mean, it was like I was testing my commitment every day. And yet I look back on it now, the greatest investment of my time And you know what's so much fun for me? Is to watch my children do the same thing with their children. You know how we learn to be parents? We learn to be parents by watching our parents. We watch them and we say, I'm never doing that to my kids. And we watch them and say, that's the right thing to do. And we learn to be parents by watching our parents. Your children are learning parenting skills by watching how you parent them. Paul concludes this little section on children and he says, Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Training is correction. Admonition is instruction. And we need to teach our kids, but we need to encourage them and help them learn the Scripture and become the people of God we want them to be. So there's the instruction to wives and husbands and children and parents. Now, the next section is a little bit difficult because it's addressed to bondservants. Colossians 3.22, Bondservants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh not with eye service as men pleasers, but in the sincerity of heart fearing God. Here we discover that Christianity is meant to work in the stress and strain and grit and grind of the marketplace. The word bondservants here that begins this section is a word that means slaves. And this instruction was given in the days when Rome ruled most of the world. And in that day, I learned there may have been as many as six million slaves. And the vast majority of business in the New Testament was family-operated. Almost all of what we would today call the workforce would be summarized under the heading of slaves or servants. By addressing these people, Paul is not endorsing slavery. Hear me. But he is speaking into a situation that already existed and had existed for years. And now some of these people who were in this category had become Christians. These slaves were the farmers and sanitation people and educators and the nannies and the shopkeepers. And Paul knew that many of them were coming to faith in Christ. And all across the empire, those Christian slaves were experiencing every kind of treatment at the hands of all sorts of masters. Some of their masters were cruel and heartless. Others were kind and treated them like families. Some of their masters would be brother Christians. Others would be pagans who actually were hostile to their faith. Paul's words here embrace all these situations, and these words embrace our situations as well. Paul weighs in here with instruction for anyone who is under authority to another in the marketplace. 
How should he function? How should he live? How should he work? And Paul sets out to answer these questions, and we're going to unpack what he says. First of all, he talks about the employee's action. In our world today, that's the application. Bond servants obey all things to your masters. It's interesting to note that the Bible clearly tells us that how we work, how we function, our actions are a witness to those who watch us. The importance of how we relate to one another in the business environment is underlined in Paul's letter to Titus. Listen to this. Listen to his letter. I've read this many times, but never in this context. Listen to these words. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, that means stealing, not but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The way we work is a testimony to the watching world. When I was in seminary, I had a bunch of jobs. I was just back there where I went to school, and I was reminded of some of the places that I worked. But one of the places I worked for the longest time was Illinois California Express, a freight company. And I was a freight hand on the docks. The pay was good. The work was hard. But I enjoyed it because most of the rest of the time I was in class, I was studying. This was kind of a relief. So I'd go to work every day and just jump into the thing, and I'd lace tires in the truck and move freight around. And one day as I was working, these two guys came down. They walked inside the truck where I was working. They said, son, we need to talk to you. He said, you're a preacher boy, aren't you? I said, what do you mean? He said, don't you go to that seminary? Yeah, you okay. preacher boy, let me tell you something. You've got to slow down. You're working too hard. You're making this look bad. He said, you can't come in here with this white shirt you wear every day and walk out of here filthy and dirty, sweating, looking like you put in. He said, you can't do that. You've got to quit that. You're making us look bad. And they dogged me all the time I worked there. They love calling me preacher boy. Hey, preacher boy, how's it going? But they didn't want me to work hard. But when I worked hard, I sent a message to that whole group. Christians are different. We don't join in the laissez-faire attitude about work. We work hard because that's what's honoring to the Lord. The required action here is obedience. The employee action is obedience. Now, notice his assignment. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. The assignment is to work for the men and women that God has placed in authority over you. And this obedience isn't to be diminished because your employer happens to be Christians. Listen, this is really critical. Sometimes Christians get into a situation where they work for another Christian, and they can get cavalier in their attitude toward work because they know, hey, my boss is a brother. He's not going to get in my face. Listen once again to what the Scripture says in 1 Timothy 6, 2. And those who have believing masters... Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. In other words, he says, because you're a Christian and you're working for a Christian, that doesn't diminish your responsibility. It increases it. You're both brothers, and what you're doing is having an impact on the kingdom. So do it with all your heart. And that's what the next principle says. Your attitude, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Now, we don't have any problem understanding what he means by saying don't do it with eye service. That means you just work hard when you know somebody's watching, and then when they don't watch you anymore, you go back to the way you were. It it says don't do this to please men. Listen, this is the thing you have to understand if you're a Christian. If you work, 
Your ultimate boss isn't the guy who's watching you down here. It's the person nobody else knows about if they're not Christians who's watching you up there. Martyred missionary Jim Elliott once made this statement. I wrote it in my little journal. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hill every situation you believe to be the will of God. Listen to that. Wherever you are, be all there. Live your life fully. I chose Colossians 3.23 as my life verse many years ago, and I've written this verse in thousands of Bibles and books and at the end of letters. I have preached on it several times, but I want you to see it in the context in which it appears in the Bible. It simply describes how we are to go about living the Christian life. It says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. We could use a little infusion of that in our world today because that's not the way a lot of people live. They don't live heartily. They don't do everything they can do with all their heart, but that's the way you should live if you're a Christian. And that's what Paul is saying. And then he says, if you do that, there's an award coming, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ, and who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. One last thing, and we'll be done here. We've talked about all of these different actors in the Christian household, and that brings us to some instruction for employers. In a word, Paul's desire for employers is this. Respect your employees. Colossians 4.1, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair. Here Paul instructs employers to treat their employees justly and fairly. One author describes how a good businessman who's a Christian treats his employees. Listen to what he said. On a day-to-day basis, the good boss is one who will listen to you. He will stand up for you. He will trust you and not micromanage every aspect of your work. He will communicate clearly, instantly, constantly in a collaborative manner He will seek your advice, listen to your concerns, consult you on the best solutions for success. They set high expectations and encourage you to be the best you can be, striving for new heights of excellence. When you're a Christian and you're a boss and you're a leader, there should be a different quality about you. You are interested in the success of the people who work for you. You know that if you help them be successful, they'll make you more successful. You're not always after them for what they don't do, but in the same way that parents are to encourage their children, whoever is in control of an organization should also be an encourager of those who work there. So there you have it. There's Paul telling you, okay, those of you who are in Colossae in this little church, let me give you some help here. Don't get so caught up in all the false teachers that are coming after you that you forget how to live the Christian life. Be good parents, be good wives, be good husbands, be obedient children, be good workers, and be good bosses, because Christ is at the center of it all. Now, let me finish this with these words. The third chapter of Colossians begins, you remember this, by reminding us that we're to set our affections on things above and not on things on earth. You go back and read the first few verses. Paul said to the Colossian believers, listen, you're going to Go through this thing you're going through. Make sure you keep your eyes on God. Don't get so earthly-minded that you don't have any heavenly perspective. The chapter ends in a unique way, and let me point it out to you. Wives are instructed to be subject to their own husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loves the church. 
Children are told to obey their parents in all things because this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Employees are told to obey their employers, for in doing so, they serve the Lord Christ. Employers are reminded that they also have a master in heaven. Do you get it? Every one of these relationships is, first of all, with somebody else, but primarily with God. Wives, submit to your husbands because you're submitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives because Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. All through this whole section, if you watch for it, Jesus Christ is at the center of it all. Listen to me. Because we are Christians, we're different. Because Christ is in our relationships at home, there should be a new quality to that relationship. It doesn't always happen all at once, but it happens along the way. As we submit ourselves to the Lord, we should become better husbands and better wives and better parents and more obedient children and better workers and better bosses. Why? Because Christ is in the equation. Christ is everything. The title of this series is Christ Above All. He's more important than anything we've talked about today to understand that it's all about our relationship with Christ. And here's Paul telling us, you want to honor the Christ that is the center of your life. It's going to affect how you live, how you relate at home, how you relate at work, how you function as parents. Christ is a difference maker. This may not make a lot of sense to somebody who doesn't know Christ. I don't think a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit in their heart and Christ within them would have a very easy time doing the things I've been talking about today. But I want to tell you something. What is not possible for you in the flesh, when you have Christ in your heart, he enables you to do what you could not do without him. And that leads me to ask you this question. Do you know Christ? Is he in your life? Does he have a place in who you are, in your heart? Has there ever been a time when you have heard the gospel and decided, I'm going to trust Christ. Christ doesn't come upon you in some sort of vague way. He comes to live within your heart because you decide to invite him to be your savior. I want to ask you today, if you're not a Christian, whether you're listening to me here in this room or listening across the network, would you trust Christ? You say, Pastor Jeremiah, I know that Christ will forgive my sin. I'm here to tell you. He'll change your relationship with your husband or your wife. He'll make you a better parent. He'll make you a better worker. And if you're a boss over somebody, he'll make you a better boss. But first of all, you've got to invite him into your life. I am so concerned, men and women, that the gospel gets pushed aside. I don't want you to miss this. For you to see any of these things I've talked about happen, it begins with step number one you invite Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You see, he's the key to everything, whether it's in the family or in the church, in the community. If you know Jesus Christ, he he turns everything around. He makes everything work because he's the center of it all. He's the creator, and we learned about that earlier in this book. Tomorrow here on Turning Point, we're going to talk about Christian communication. Paul has some very uh, appropriate words to give us about how we communicate with each other, how we talk to one another. And uh, you would think it was written yesterday, but it was written many years ago by Paul in a prison cell in Rome in response to the inquiry of Epaphras from Colossae. We'll tackle that tomorrow and Wednesday here on Turning Point. I hope you'll be able to be with us. 
The book, Christ Above All, is the commentary on the book of Colossians that we have just finished, just came off the press. It's beautiful. It's very attractive, and yet it's full of the doctrine of Colossians with all the illustrations and the stories and the scriptures. When you get this book, you'll have everything we've talked about during this series. You can share it in your small group by getting a study guide for everybody in your group. You can re-listen to it or re-watch it if you want to on CD or DVD. Those are available from Turning Point. But most of all, we want you to have the book. And the book is available to anyone who will give a gift of any size during the month of August to help us with our costs of radio time and production. So thank you for doing that. Be sure to say, send me the book and we'll do it. It's our way of saying thank you for your investment in this international worldwide ministry. I'm David Jeremiah, and we'll see you next time right here on Turning Point. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. To share how God is using this ministry in your life, write us at Turning Point for God of Canada. P.O. Box 18098 Delta BC V4L2M4 Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300 Ask for your copy of David's new book Christ Above All A verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is It is yours for a gift of any amount You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Christ Above All here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you want to learn more about the person of Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians offers an unrivaled portrayal of our Savior. And to help you understand this important book in a deeper way, Dr. David Jeremiah has created a verse-by-verse study called Christ Above All. This helpful book and album are yours when you donate $60 to Turning Point. And with an $80 gift, you'll also receive the Written Word Journal. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. A woman was upset that she was not seated in the place of honor at a dinner party. She went to the host and complained about his servant's mistake, asking whether getting people seated correctly was a consistent problem. 
Oh, not at all, the host replied. The guests who mind where they sit don't really matter, and the guests who really matter don't seem to mind. Jesus said, if you're invited to a banquet, go ahead and take the lowest seat. Better to be invited to move up to the seat of honor than to be asked to vacate that seat for someone else. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's perspective on honor on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.